0: And for us at Pathway, the Bible is our foundation. It's our guide for everything that we do. And so we said, well, what does the Bible say? And the Bible says very clearly in the New Testament. So the Bible has New and Old Testament. And in the New Testament, there's the the first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the fourth one is called John because he's the guy that wrote it. He was an eyewitness follower of Jesus And John tells us this in chapter 1. We talked about this last week. John said that Jesus is the light, but his light comes to give life. And so we said, what does that mean? Well, Jesus is life. And we talked about that last week. You can go listen to the podcast. I won't rehash all of it. So we kind of laid the foundation of what that really means for us. And today we want to just continue to build on that. We're going to look at, I think, one of the most famous kind of Christmas stories um, out there from the Bible and it's in the New Testament as well Um, it's in the third book of the New Testament called Luke Luke was the guy that wrote that as well and Luke went around and interviewed eyewitnesses of Jesus so what we're about to read there's a very realistic chance that Luke actually interviewed the people that are the main characters of what we're about to read this is a historical fact this is an event that actually happened it's not you know fiction this is true so let's check this out in Luke chapter 2 verse 8 says this that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them they were terrified but the angel reassured them don't be afraid he said I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to the flocks glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Now, what's interesting, again, is we always say every week that, that wherever the week, whether we read one sentence or a whole paragraph as we just read, we really need to slow down and maybe read it a couple of times, think about it deeply. And one of the big takeaways that, that I come away with this is asking, who is the main character of what we read about? Well, to be quite honest, I mean, yes, it's about the birth of Jesus, of course, but to be completely honest, he's somewhat of a, a little bit of a background figure here in this one paragraph. It's really not even the angels, although they play a very central key role. But the main figure in what we read are these shepherds. In fact, the shepherds are either mentioned by name or referenced over eight times. The key point here, the key figure are these shepherds. And so, you know... uh, Things that we may not quite understand living in 2022 about shepherds here in Oklahoma. And and I grew up on a cattle farm, so I can relate. If it's talking about ranchers and handling cattle, I could relate to that. But when it talks about raising sheep, I had sheep for a small time in my life as a hobby. And I came home from school one day and they were about a year old and they were dead. And I was like, What happened? Like, they had a heart attack. I'm like, They were a year old. How does she? But the thing is, sheep is unlike watching cows. Cows can, for the most part, take care of themselves. I mean, you you go, you make sure they have some food, some water. You kind of check them every day. Other than that, they're pretty self-sustaining animals. Sheep are not. Sheep are some of the dumbest animals on the planet. They just, they are. They can't live without constant 24-7 supervision. Sheep get diseases more easily than most any other animal. They have no natural defenses. In fact, if an animal's trying to attack them, they just... Stand there and take it and die. They're just not smart enough to run away. They have no defense to protect them. So shepherds in that day was a, was a, main, a, a big occupation. But what you may not understand are shepherds um, were actually on the lowest rung of uh, occupations. And so think about maybe in your mind, and don't say it out loud because maybe the person next to you has that job, but the lowest occupation here, and and think about that, and then like a step or two lower, and that's what a shepherd was. This was not like little boys and girls growing up to say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a shepherd. No, that was insulting to your family. They didn't want you to do that. Because shepherds had to live with stinky, smelly sheep all the time. For months and months and months on end, they had to stay with these sheep. They couldn't go to their families. They had to stay with them wherever the sheep went. They went. They stayed outside all the time, good, bad, and ugly weather. It just wasn't a fun job. And also, shepherds were not the most reliable people We know this because according to historical documents in the first century in Israel, shepherds were so unreliable that their testimony was not even allowed permissible in court. So let me think, you could get away with murder as long as a shepherd is the one that saw you do it, right? You could kill somebody, and if a shepherd is the only witness, you got off scot-free because they wouldn't even allow their testimony in courts, I mean, that's that's their occupation. In fact, their job was so stinky and smelly with these sheep that the religious leaders of the day in the first century Israel said, hey, you're such low on the totem pole, the the lowest rung there on that ladder that, you know what, we're not even going to allow you to come to synagogue or what we might think of as church. I mean, think about it because of your job, not because you got to work on Sundays. That's different. We just don't like you. I mean, you're just smelly. You're stinky. We don't trust you. You're kind of a a, a really not that great of a person. And so we don't want you to come. That's what they were. They weren't allowed to come to worship on, on the weekends. They weren't allowed to come to synagogue worship. I mean, they were really kind of loners. They kind of did their own thing. Now, here's what's fascinating to me. As we give you the background of shepherds, there's a couple of things I want you to look at, and we're going to compartmentalize them, and then we're going to put it all together. The first one are these shepherds. We understand how unreliable they were, um, kind of how smelly they were, how people didn't trust them, and people really, I mean, most people in this area were very, very poor, but even the poor people looked down on shepherds. That's how bad it was. Like, that's as bad as it can get. So think about that. As you're thinking about that, here's the next section to think about. Let's say you're God, which would just be cool, right? But let's say you're God. Now, if I'm God, um, there's a lot of things that I would do. But if I was God, one of the things is if I am coming to my creation, earth, I'm going to come, uh, and how I'm going to come is to the main place where they worship me. I'm going to come to like the biggest, grandest church of them all. And I'm going to be born in the middle of the greatest religious leaders and scholars and theologians, people with PhDs and all the other initials behind their name. That's where I'm going to be born. Boy, I'm God, and I'm going to be born in my house amongst my people. That's what most probably logical people would assume, right? That if God, the holy supreme being, comes to his creation, he's going to come in his place of worship among the religious leaders. Yet what we find is it's the opposite. Jesus did not come to the temple in Jerusalem, which the temple was was the, the biggest of all. I mean, it was where they believed God's presence literally lived. God lived in the temple. It wasn't like a synagogue or a church or a satellite location. I mean, the temple was the big one the big house. And they believed that that's where God lived. And so if you're God, why wouldn't Jesus have been born in the temple? Why wouldn't Jesus have been born amongst the religious leaders and the religious scholars? What's fascinating is that he wasn't born in any of that. Instead, Jesus was born to the shepherds. The first people to ever hear about the message of Jesus are these shepherds? So think about that. The people that are un- the most unreliable, the people that they can't trust, the people that uh, don't even give their, uh, co- their opinion in court, their testimony in court, that are rejected by the religious leaders, the religious leaders that said, you can't even come inside to worship with us. That's the very ones that Jesus is announced to. Besides Joseph and Mary, Jesus' earthly parents, the first ones to ever hear about Jesus... Are these shepherds? What does that tell us about God? That's the question. So we kind of understand what's going on. Now, the next question we need to ask as we put this, these two pieces together, what does it tell us about God? It tells us this, that Jesus is the light of the world for everyone. Jesus' light is for everyone. He's not just for the religious elite. He's not just for those that got their act together and they know how to say the right prayer and do the right thing and give the right amount of money and they're good moral people. No, Jesus comes to the most broken, messed up, pathetic, smelly, hurting, lost, discouraged people. That's the good news of Jesus. Like it's the opposite of what we would think that's the message. of That's the first thing we learn. I mean, before Jesus even says mama, dada, whatever, the first thing we learn was that this is not going to be a king that, that would someday have to ascend to the throne like, like, like Prince Philip. But no, he is the king And when he's born. And the first thing we learn before this king even says a word, he's a king for everybody, not just a king for the upper class or the religious elite, or those that really know how to pray, or really read their Bible, or even come to church every week. He is a king for everyone. The very ones that are rejected by the religious people, those are the ones that he announces his birth to. I love that about the birth of Jesus. Listen, here's the other fascinating thing I think that why that matters is because I love what it says and. In verses 9 through 15, to look at that, it says, They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem. When the angels had returned to heaven, in verse 15, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told you about. And what's fascinating, verse 9 talks about that the angel says, hey, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. And that word, good news, is where we get the English word gospel. So when you hear about the gospels, you know, the first four books of the New Testament, the life of Jesus, or when you hear Christians or the Bible say the gospel of Jesus, what does that mean? Have you heard about the gospel? It literally translates and means in English, good news. Now, the way that word there is used, that, that gospel, is, is where we get our word evangelist, evangelism, evangelical. When you hear those words, it literally means those that preach the good news, those that tell other people about the good news. So listen. The first thing the angel says is, "I am telling you about the good news, and I then want you to go see the good news for yourself, and then go and tell everybody else about the good news." And then that's what the that's what the shepherds did. You know, it's fascinating. The shepherds uh, don't look to each other after the angels are there and and then the angels leave. The angels don't stay there and wait. Like, are you guys going to go? I mean, come on, we're waiting. The angels leave. They're like, we told you about the good news. You're adults. Go see it for yourself. Don't take our word for it as angels. You go see for yourself. And then the shepherds, I mean, you know, they could stand there and say, wow. Guys, we just saw angels, and not just a few. We saw the literal army of heaven. There is an army in heaven, but it is not an army to bring destruction. It is an army to do what? Bring peace and bring good news. The message of the angels wasn't of destruction and judgment. It was of good news. The message of Jesus is not of destruction, but of good news. I mean, think about it. They they don't come and say, the angels appear to the shepherds and say, all right, God's been watching you, and he knows who's been naughty or nice. He's got his list and checked it twice. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake, and he is out to be bad or good, for goodness sake. He doesn't say that. The angels don't come and say God's been watching all y'all and he's been taking some names and he's ready to kick some tail and it's about to get WWE up in here. He doesn't say that. Some of you maybe have went to a church or or you've heard that about God, but you've not experienced him for yourself. And you're just going off what other people have told you and other people or through the media or whatever have told you. He is a God of judgment and a God of vengeance and a God of anger. He has those qualities, but he doesn't show them to you. He shows you he is a God of love, a God of peace, a God of forgiveness, a God of joy. I mean, what's the message The angels say, great joy. Initially, the shepherds were terrified. I mean, they were, they were, the the Greek is literally speechless with fear. I mean, scared out of their mind. And yet, the angel says, don't be afraid. This isn't like that. I've got good news for you. And their fear turned to joy when they heard about Jesus. Jesus. Listen, your fear, the fear of that person that you know that's walking through that dark valley right now, their fear can turn to joy when you tell them about Jesus. Your fear can turn to joy when you see Jesus for yourself. The the shepherds don't look at each other and say, man, we saw angels. That was just incredible. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I, I just can't believe I got to see an angel. That was amazing. Wow. Hey, what are we going to do for breakfast tomorrow, guys? Um, we'll talk about the angel thing, but uh, let's think about, oh, hey, guys, there's a little sheep running off. Let's go catch him. Or they didn't say, yeah, but I mean, okay, angels, you want us to go to Bethlehem. Bethlehem at that time is, is uh, as it is today, about six miles south of Jerusalem. And Bethlehem was a town of maybe 1,000 people, a little bitty town. And so they don't go and say, "Well, I know angels. You said an angel wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger." And I mean, I, you know Bethlehem's a small town. There can't be that many pregnant ladies here. And uh, uh, more than that, I mean, we kind of wrap all of them in baby cloth. And so, I mean, if you guys could give us like the address, that would help for our phone. We could put plug it into Siri. But they don't do that. They don't turn to each other and say, man, that was cool. I tell you what, someone needs to stay here. We are so busy with these sheep right now, and if we leave, they're going to scatter. And so one of you stay here with the sheep, and the other five of us, we don't know how many there were. It doesn't matter, or the Bible would have told us. But, but you guys go check it out and come back, and then we'll take turns. We'll do shifts. No. They didn't say we're too busy. Some of us, I, I pray and I hope that, that you can hear the good news of Jesus Like, man, that's great. I'm just, I love it, and that's so cool. I'm just so busy right now. I'm just, my life is just so busy. I'm so carried. When I get some time, then I'll do it. No, look at what it says. It says, with exclamation point, they turned to each other immediately and said, Let's go see this thing that has happened. They, let's go see that word thing translated as, as word. Let's go see the word, the word of God. The angel has spoken the word of God. Let's go see it. And they're excited. They don't hesitate. They don't delay. What does that tell us? Well, I would say this. you got to let the light in. Here's what we mean by that. Listen, if you're new to following Jesus or maybe you've just been coming the past few weeks and you're not sure what you believe about the Bible or or Jesus or any of that, hey, again, welcome to Pathway. We're a church for unchurched people. We welcome skeptics. We welcome questions, so you're in the right place. But I would say this to you in a very loving way. If that's you and you're not sure what you believe or you're kind of new, you're kind of figuring this all out, you can come to an amazing gathering like what we have today where, man, our our worship team is just rocking and we feel God's presence and you hear a great message about Jesus. And you can come and do that week after week after week. But until you make Jesus personal, it really doesn't do much good for you. Until you go and, what does it say? See for yourself. Because that's what it said. After seeing him, You can hear about it, but until you see him yourself, you can hear about the life change of Jesus and his forgiveness and his peace and his purpose and hope for your life, but until you see him, and I don't mean literally, I mean, maybe that would be cool, but I mean in your heart, it really won't do much good, as the old saying, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make it drink. That's true. So I would just tell you, what do you have to lose? In a gathering like today, what do you have to lose to to invite him in, to let the light in? And, and I would say this as well. If you're like, well, you know, Brian, that's not me. I mean, I, I've followed Jesus for the last five years or the last 10 years or 20 years. And, and I mean, I know I, I pray and I, I read my Bible and I, and I love him. And that's great. And we welcome you here too. I would say this, it, it applies just so much to you. Because maybe for the last couple of weeks or the last several months or years, that he's been trying to tell you, Hey, I want you to go do this. Hey, I I put that mom in your mom's group because she needs to hear about Jesus. She needs to let the light in. Hey, I put those coworkers around you on purpose because I want to use you to reach them. Hey, I've been asking you to step out and and I know it's a leap of faith, but to quit your job and start that new business. I've been asking you that that you don't need to suffer in silence. You need to go tell somebody with what you're dealing with. Quit keeping it in. Go, Go talk to somebody. I've been nudging you to do that. But until you obey what he's been telling you to do, you're going to be in the same situation. Listen, in fact, Jesus' brother... Jesus was the firstborn, and he had brothers and sisters after that, we know as a fact. and One of his brothers, in fact, during the life of Jesus, none of his family besides his mom, perhaps his dad, I'm sure, but but Mary and Joseph beside them, none of his brothers and sisters believed that he was God in the flesh. They didn't believe until his death and resurrection. And once they saw the risen Jesus, they all believed. One of his uh, brothers was named James. James would later go on after the death and resurrection of Jesus to be the first pastor of the first church in Jerusalem in the first century. James would write a letter. And the cool thing is we have a copy of that letter in the New Testament. It's called James because they're really creative with their names of the books. And so James and James says this. And I love this. He says, we shouldn't just be hearers of the word. We should be doers of the word. In other words, it's not enough. I mean, that's what he says. It's kind of harsh, but it's true. It's not enough just to hear God prompting you to start that business or open up to someone or maybe cut that relationship off or whatever the case is. It's not enough just to hear God whisper that to you in your heart. You've got to do it. You've got to step out in faith. It wasn't enough for the for the angels to appear to the shepherds and be like, wow, that was cool. Thank you. And that's no, they had to take their step, their part, and go and see for themselves. And I want to invite you today, see for yourself that Jesus is the light and can light up your life. I want you today to see for yourself that he is faithful. Like, well, I know all that about the Bible, but he's asking you to step out and see for yourself how he takes care and provides for every need that you have. See for yourself. I think here's the, the 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 other big thing of what we need to do about it is spread the light. I love verse 17. You can look at it. It says this. Remember, after seeing him, there's a big emphasis on that. They said earlier, let's go see this thing that had happened. Now, verse 17, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said about this child. And look at this, verse 18. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Now think about this. Why were they astonished? Because they're shepherds. Because they know their background. They know their story. They know they're really not that trustworthy. And they can see it in their eyes. They can hear it in their voice. They can see it on their face. You're not the same shepherd you were five hours ago. That's the beauty when you let the light in and then you go and spread the light. Other people look at you. They're like, I know you. And something radical has happened in your life. You're not the same person you were before. What is going on? And you say, it's the light of Jesus. And they are astonished because you've been changed. When you really see Jesus, he changes you forever. Radically changes you. I love that. It says, after 6, so they, the angel said, hey, go see it. They look to each other. Yep, let's go do it. Let's go make it personal. Let's let the light in. They go see Jesus. They worship him. And the cool thing is they don't stay there at the baby crib in the manger. They don't stay there and say, oh, wow, this is the baby. This is God as a human being. This is so cool. Let's just stay right with him forever. No. They saw him. He changed their life forever. And they left. I mean, as Michelle said so, so beautifully and powerfully earlier, what would you do if you were there that night? I mean, I, I, to be honest, I doubt you would see him in the manger. Kind of like, you know, if you have a family member that has a baby, you go see the hospital. Like, okay, I'm going to go home. I mean, but if you're the parent, you stay there forever. I mean, think about it. If that's Jesus and you're there, do you really think you would stay there and be like, oh, wow, this is cute baby Jesus. This is so cool. This is sweet. And he's a, God is a, in the human flesh. This is a miracle. I mean, and they're like, okay, I'll see you guys later. That's what they did. I mean after seeing him they went and did what told everyone listen we do not at pathway want you to stay here in theater 5 at AMC one you just can't because they're going to show movies in a little bit but even if you could we don't want you to because that's not the gospel that's not the message of Jesus the message of Jesus is you see him for yourself he changes your life and then you go and spread the light you go and spread the gospel you go and tell everyone what he's done for you that's the message of jesus at pathway that's what we're all about we're help you know god find family and make a difference the greatest way you'll ever make a difference is not keeping the light to yourself but spreading it as the old uh, kids song that i sang when i was a kid in church i don't think we sing this which is maybe a good thing i don't know it's kind of cute but uh I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. I'm not gonna push it out. No, I'm gonna let it shine. Listen, as adults in Theater Five, that's what Jesus is telling you today. You gotta to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Don't let fear blow it out. Don't let insecurity blow it out. Don't let the doctor blow it out. Don't let discouragement blow it out. You let the light of Jesus shine brightly in the darkness that we live in. The other song, and I and, and did some history this week. There are so many old Christmas songs or Christmas hymns that are written from the perspective of the shepherd. In fact, we sang the first one earlier, and we didn't necessarily plan that, but it's cool how God does that. Joy to the world. A lot of people believe that's from the shepherd's perspective. I mean, think about that. The other one that, that you know, kids sing now, it's a little more... More, a little more modern, but go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere that Jesus Christ is born. Listen, you as adults, go tell it on the mountain. Go tell everyone and everywhere that Jesus is born, that he rose up to, to die on the cross and was resurrected, and he is returning soon, and he is the light of the world. And it is not a gospel of condemnation, but a message of good news that can change your life, but see him for yourself. That's the message of Jesus. What's really fascinating as well, and to be honest, I've, 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 read the, I've read Luke 2 a lot in my life. I never thought about this until the past uh, couple weeks or months preparing for this message and, and researching and studying. And one, of the things that, one of the things that I read about this, which was so fascinating... That during this very night that Jesus was born, and most likely he was not born on December twenty fifth. I hate that. Maybe he was. I don't. If that helps you, fine. It doesn't matter. We would have the day. The day that really matters is the day he rose again. That's Easter. Okay. But but so the night that he was born, the the real uh, in that day in the Roman mind and in the first century Rome ruled the world, the known world. The Savior of the world was known as Caesar. In fact, Christianity would later say Jesus is Lord, but in that day, they would say Caesar is Lord. And they really viewed Caesar as as kind of a God, kind of half God, half man, but, but kind of a somewhat divine, not quite. And in that very night that these shepherds go to find Mary and Joseph and Jesus in the manger, Caesar Augustus, was sleeping quietly and peacefully in his palace in Rome. And if you were to go back in time and wake him up and say, Caesar Augustus, it's really cool to meet you. Have you ever heard about this Jesus in Bethlehem? Most likely he would say, I I know where Jerusalem is. I'm not really sure even where Bethlehem is at. What I know about it, it's a small podunk town nobody cares about. So have I heard about this little bitty baby boy being born to some poor people? No, I haven't. Do I really care? No. I'm Caesar. I'm in control. What's fascinating is if you were to stay there and kind of fast forward through history, about 100 years or so after this night, and after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Roman Empire, on the night he was born, never heard of him. The day he died, unless you live really right there in Israel, you probably never heard of him in Rome. But about 100 years after these events, Christianity was such a threat to Rome that they, they outlawed it, they banned it. They would take his followers, this baby in the manger, his followers who died the death of a criminal, although he was innocent, and they can't find the body three days later. 100 years or so after that, They would take his followers and impale them while they're still alive, tar them while they're still alive, and light them on fire. And that's how they would light the streets of Rome at night. They would gather up his followers and take them in the Colosseum and see lions rip them to pieces. Gladiators kill them. It was such a threat that it was outlawed. They tried every, the most powerful army, the most powerful economy, the most powerful uh, empire on planet earth tried everything it could to shut it down. But they couldn't. What's amazing is the more they tried to shut it down, the more it grew and grew. So much so that about 100 years or so after that, when we're in about 300 AD, about 300 years after Jesus. It grew so much so that the Caesar at that time, named Constantine, sees a vision of Jesus. We have this as a historical fact, and it changed him so much. We're talking about the shepherds saw Jesus, and it changed them. Now Constantine sees Jesus, and it changes him so much that he says, I'm a believer. I am not king. You are the king. This is not my empire. I give it to you. And he gave the entire Roman Empire to Jesus and, and, and did everything he could to convert the empire into Christianity in just 300 years. He said, well, Brian, well, why does that really matter? Because you have to spread the light. Listen, as we said last week, and, and we referenced a little bit today, we believe, the Bible tells us quite clearly, and we believe it to be fact, Jesus will return. So when you think about the cute baby in the manger, remember, he didn't stay a baby. He grew up to die on the cross. He grew up to ro- be rose again, and he is going to return to take us to be with him for heaven forever and ever, and we're excited about that. And I believe that's going to happen soon, but if it doesn't happen in my lifetime, I'm okay with it. If it doesn't happen in my kids' lifetime, I'm okay with it. In fact, let's say Jesus was to wait another 300 years before his return. All of us in this room will be dead, turned back to dust. Our physical body, spiritually, will be with Jesus. Here's the cool thing. You never know. Hear this. You never know when you spread the light and who you spread the light to down the road could have massive ramifications and implications it is the ripple on the pond who was to say at that time the Caesar never even heard of Jesus but as several hundred years later the Caesar gives his life to Jesus and follows him look we could live in a day where it's like oh my goodness what is America coming to and and people aren't believing in Jesus anymore and it's a dark time morally for our country and and uh, and all these horrible things and you could say that or you could say I'm not really concerned as much with that I'm going to be the light I'm going to spread the light and it may get darker before it gets brighter and they may do everything they can to cancel Christianity or to cancel Jesus but other countries have done that other empires have done that and every one of them have failed so much so that on the back end that empire gives its life to Jesus so I just encourage you today nothing and no one can stop the light so spread the light be the light of Jesus if it gets darker so be it but there will be a day that history would repeat itself where this nation and the nations of the world where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is the king and he is the Lord that's what we spread the light I love that I, I think it's interesting as, as well that Jesus came to make a difference and clearly in the shepherds he made a difference in their life All who heard were astonished. Jesus came to make a difference and then what the shepherds do, they went and told everyone and they made a difference. Jesus wants to make a difference in your life if you'll let him in. And then it doesn't just stop with you at the manger. You go make a difference in everyone else and tell them about Jesus. That's what we do. That's what it's all about. He makes a difference in me but it doesn't stop with me so that I can make a difference in others. You know, when you, we you really think about this, the, what's fascinating is, according to most, in fact, I dare say all, uh, biblical scholars and theologians and people much smarter than I am that write all these commentaries, and according to pretty much all of them, and even throughout history, church history, most believe and agree that for shepherds to be in the fields that night, the shepherds were in the fields from March to early November. Most believe that uh, Jesus was either born in a, in a March kind of season, and we talk about that, or in a September season. Does it matter? It really doesn't. I don't care. I don't care when he was born. I'm going to open presents on December 25th and sing songs about Jesus' birthday, all right? You got to sell it sometime, so celebrate the 25th. Don't be one of those weird Christians that are like, ah, oh, no, it's the 25th, it's too commercialized. Don't be like that, okay? Uh, I'll get hate mail for that. But I love you. So here's the cool thing. What was amazing was, as, as these shepherds are in the field watching their sheep outside of Bethlehem, these are not just normal sheep and lambs that they're watching. As, as the way they get into it, and you get really into the weeds. We don't have time necessarily right now, but, but the way words are translated from Hebrew to Greek and the way they know historical things, the sheep in Bethlehem, outside of Bethlehem, were not just normal sheep. They had one specific job and function. The sheep outside of Bethlehem were raised from the time they were born as these baby lambs to be slaughtered in the temple during the week of Passover. Now, we don't really celebrate necessarily Passover as much here, you know, unless you're Jewish. But in that day, Passover, think of it like a 4th of July. It was the Jewish people that were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. In the Old Testament, in Exodus, God rescues them. And one of the ways that God rescues them, he tells them that, hey, look, um, for your freedom, there has to be a price. And so take an innocent lamb and kill that lamb. Take its blood and put it over the doorframe of your home. And if I see the blood, I will literally pass over that home because you'll be safe because the blood on the outside protects the family on the inside. And the next day, the, the Pharaoh, the king set free all the Jewish slaves and they were free. And so every year they celebrate that. They celebrate this, this year as well and I celebrate every year the lambs in Jesus' day that they would take and sacrifice and slaughter in the temple in Jerusalem, just six miles to the north. All of them were raised in this one spot outside of Bethlehem. Now, what's fascinating about that is that these shepherds are watching sheep that they know are are the lambs of Israel that will die to help kind of figuratively put off the sins of the people for a year. See, when you disobey God, there has to be a price. Like, well, that that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Well, I heard a a great pastor named Tim Keller say it like this, and I love this illustration. If you come over to my house and you break a lamp, you know, and and you say, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry, uh, you know, but you don't have the money to fix it. Well, somebody's got to fix the lamp. And I could demand that you fix it, or I could say, that's okay. I love you. I'll pay for it to be fixed. Somebody's got to fix it. But instead of making you pay it, even though it was your fault, I'll fix it for you. I'll pay it. That's love. That's grace. That's mercy. That's what salvation, that's what Jesus does on the cross. We would have to pay for our own disobedience, our own sin, the things in our life that we break. But instead, through his mercy, he says, I'll pay for it. And that's the gospel. That's the message of Jesus. So for Israel, someone had to pay for their sin, and so they just kind of put it off every year with these little lambs. The Bible, it's not a coincidence, from the Old Testament to the New, references Jesus as the Lamb of God, the Lamb of heaven, who takes away the sins of the world. Not just the sins of one nation or one group of people or one race or one ethnicity or the religious people or the educated people, or the wealthy people, but for everyone. As we said in the beginning, this message is for everyone. God, it's not an accident or coincidence. God is quite literally saying to these shepherds, I, I know that you're watching the sheep. They're going to figuratively take away for a year the sins of Israel. I want you to go see the one lamb of heaven. That'll take away the sins of the whole world forever and ever. He's saying to these shepherds, I know that you're watching these little lambs and guarding them. That's what the text said, guarding them by night. I want you for a few moments to come and guard my lamb and watch over him. God didn't ask the religious leaders in Israel to do it. He asked the shepherds to do it. Because God knew he's not sending a warrior He's not sending a military general. He's not sending a leading economist or a great philosopher or a great healer or miracle worker. He's sending the Savior to die so that we can have freedom and we can see him and be forever changed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your truth. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this message. And, Lord, we remember why you were born. Yes, we celebrate your birth absolutely as we should. But we also remember that you came for a purpose, not just to do miracles and give great teachings, although you did, and they're amazing, and you still heal us today, and we say thank you. But you came to be the Lamb of heaven, the Lamb of God that would be slaughtered on a cross. But we're so thankful because you didn't stay dead on the cross. Three days later, you rose again. And how do we know that? We could get into all the facts and figures of how we know, but but more than any of that, we know because we have seen you. Maybe not with our physical eyes, but we've seen you in our heart. We know what it is to let your light in, and we've been changed ever since. So much so that we don't want to keep the light. We want to go spread the light. We're thankful that this light isn't just for a select few. It's for everyone. Thank you. Today, as we're all just praying right now, if you would be here and say, you know, Brian, earlier when you talked about letting the light in and seeing him for yourself, that's me. I've heard about Jesus, uh, you know, and I've been to church here and there, but man, today is my day. I'm ready to see him. I don't want to just take it from what other people have told me. I want to experience his love and forgiveness myself. Today is your day. All that we would ask you to do is simply raise your hand. You don't have to stand up or come to the front or anything like that. But right where you're at, yeah, today I want to give my life to Jesus and let the light in. Know what real joy and real hope, real peace, real forgiveness, real purpose is all about. The rest of us, we're just praying right now. But if that's you right now, you just raise your hand. I want to let the light, I want to give my life to Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Now let's all say this prayer together. Jesus, thank you for loving me. I believe you're God's son. I believe you died on the cross and rose again. Forgive me of my sin. I love you. And from today on, I give my life to you. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give a hand for those that made that decision today. Man, congratulations. Welcome to the family. And we're about to